It's Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. They used to sing about foggy London town, but after World War II, the British capital was more famous for its swirling smog from coal-burning power plants, coal fires in the hearth, and diesel buses and trucks. The worst incident came in December 1952. I don't think the and devil himself could have driven it away. It was that thick. On that night, it was vicious. It was a warm fog. It was wrapped around you. It was, it was all-possessing. It was smelly. It was dirty. It was black. It had an acrid, acidy feel about it. It seeped into the houses, and indoors, everywhere's covered with a sort of grey film. It's quite uncanny. As many as 12,000 deaths were blamed on that killer smog, and the British government was forced to act, passing the Clean Air Act in 1956. The United States, which had its own killer smog in Denora, Pennsylvania in 1948, passed its own Clean Air Act in 1963. And since then, health problems due to poor air quality have fallen dramatically in both countries. Without similar environmental protections, China is now facing a dirty air crisis, with toxic levels of air pollution throughout Beijing this past month. Jocelyn Ford is a journalist and a filmmaker based in Beijing, and she joins us via Skype. Welcome to Living on Earth. Hello. So what's it like there, or particularly, what's it like to take a breath there? Well, on a bad air day, I actually try not to go outside because I don't want to be breathing in the equivalent of a pack of cigarettes a day. You know, you can feel it in your lungs, your throat gets all clogged. It's really not very pleasant. I've tried to avoid even going to yoga so I wouldn't have to breathe deeply. So how far can you see from your apartment? I usually see, I have a wonderful view. I'm on the 16th floor. I can see all sorts of skyscrapers, you know, miles away. But this past month, (laughs) it's more or less looked like a Chinese ink painting with a a little different shade of gray uh, the further you go, and then it just becomes totally misty. What are uh, people saying in the press in particular about the air? Any criticism of the government? This is the first time that Chinese state media has really been paying attention to the dangers of bad air. Uh, back in 2008, when, when China started to clean up its air for the Olympics, the air would be bad and people would say, oh, it's just fog because the media never talked about the smog. But now people are aware that the air is bad. The Chinese government has started making public readings on just how bad the air is. And people are, are becoming much more concerned about their health and about their children's health. Uh, there's a lot of concern, for example, that kids shouldn't be outside playing in the playground when the air is really putrid. And the public is really up in arms about this. They want the government to do a lot better job. And there are a number of foreigners who are now thinking of, yeah, is it really worth staying in China with all of this? And what's your answer? Are you coming home? The days when the air is bad and the internet doesn't work, and I think, yeah, what am I doing here? (laughs) You know, we'd send you a bottle of oxygen, but uh, probably the government wouldn't allow it. Actually, they're already selling it here, so I'm afraid we can probably get it cheaper. (laughs) Jocelyn Ford, filmmaker and journalist, thank you so much. Thank you. Well, February 9th sees the start of the Year of the Snake, and the Chinese people love nothing more at New Year's than to let off fireworks, which could worsen their smog. Scientists know that air pollution causes multiple medical problems for the people who breathe it in. But now a team of researchers from around the world has demonstrated a connection between dirty air and low birth weight. 
Mothers exposed to high levels of particulates, the scientists found, are more likely to give birth to underweight children, putting them at risk of developmental delays and illness. One of the study's lead authors is Dr. Tracy Woodruff, the director of the Center for Reproductive Health and the Environment at the University of California at San Francisco. She says that the size of the study's sample shows that their conclusions should be taken seriously. We had over 3 million births in our study, so this makes it a very large study. In fact, we think it's the largest study that's been done to date to look at this question about maternal exposure to air pollution and effects on birth weight. Now, in which countries did you do your research? We had participants in 14 centers from every continent except for Africa. We had several researchers in Europe, Brazil, Seoul, Korea, Australia, in Vancouver, Canada, then several locations in the United States, including California, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Massachusetts. A lot of people had been conducting studies in their individual countries looking at air pollution and adverse pregnancy outcomes, both low birth weight and preterm delivery. And they all were done a little differently. They all found slightly different results. So we gathered all the researchers together, and through our discussions, we realized if we work together, we might have a stronger ability to look at this relationship between air pollution and pregnancy outcomes. We developed a protocol so that everyone would do the same method in each of their studies. They applied the same protocol, gathered the results, we aggregated them, and then that was the results of this study, is we could actually look across all the centers and pull all the information together to get a robust estimate about the relationship between maternal exposure to air pollution and low birth weight. What we found was that there's an increased risk of low birth weight with increasing levels of particulate matter air pollution. What was the increased risk? We saw an increased risk of 3% in low birth weight. It's not a very large increase for one person, but we're talking about millions of pregnant women around the world who are exposed to this. Because so many people are exposed, you can have many people who are affected across large populations. Why does birth weight matter so much? Why is it such an important statistic? Birth weight is a very important indicator of essentially fetal health, and doctors and public health practitioners are all concerned about the extent to which there's low birth weight in the population. Babies who are born too small can be at increased risk of chronic conditions either during infancy or in childhood, things like increased risk of infection, they might have developmental delays, and now we know that being born too small at birth can be an increased risk of adult disease. So things like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, what we call metabolic disorders. So really being born too small can kind of set you off on a less healthy path in life. We're hearing a lot about air pollution in China right now. Uh, What would your study suggest might be going on in terms of the long-term effects of this rather poor air quality? It reminds me of the very earlier air pollution episodes that actually led to the regulation of particulate matter air pollution, such as the London fog in the 1950s, which also had very high levels of air pollution. In terms of reproductive and developmental health concerns, the London fog episode, while they saw people actually dying and going to the emergency room into the hospital, they also saw an increase in infant mortality from that very high air pollution episode. And I would anticipate in China that that would be an issue for very young infants. And I would also anticipate that this would be affecting pregnant women and increasing their risk of potentially adverse pregnancy outcomes. What do you hope comes out of this research? Well, one of the reasons we were very interested in doing this research is to be able to provide 
people who are trying to make decisions, a better estimate about the relationship between air pollution and pregnancy outcomes. Decision makers are looking to figure out, if I have to do a regulation on air pollution, what are the potential benefits from regulating air pollution? And when they look in the scientific literature, it's often difficult to understand the meaning of what the different studies say, because it's not aggregated in a way that's useful for policymakers. So a second goal of the study was to essentially provide a better understanding about the relationship and an estimate that can be useful for people who are trying to make decisions about air pollution. Tracy Woodruff is director of the Program of Reproductive Health and the Environment at the University of California at San Francisco. Thank you so much, Professor Woodruff. Thank you. Thank you.